Hey guys, this is Gary. I want to apologize for the delay in this episode coming out. Um, work schedules and travel plans got in the way, and so we weren't able to release this in episode until now. A couple of things I need to tell you. Adele was in on the beginning of this recording, and she will return at the end. The middle section, which is the analysis and the bits and pieces, I'll be doing by myself. Adele had to go off on a business trip to Portland, and so we had to record this in pieces. Other than that, it's the same wonderful type of episode that you've come to appreciate about Age of Discovery. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we're breaking down Something Borrowed, Something Green, the season four, fourth episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Following that, we'll bring you the latest Star Trek news. Before we begin, please remember our analysis contains spoilers. So if you haven't yet watched this episode, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. Now, Gary, let's start off with the synopsis for the episode, Something Borrow, Something Green. Okay. In the prologue, an Orion pirate ship is destroyed by the same mysterious vessel that encountered and destroyed a Klingon warbird and a Romulan bird of prey, in the first two episodes of the season. Captain Freeman grants Tendi leave to attend her sisters, the Erica's, <laughs> wedding on a riot. Tendi is reluctant to do so, not wanting her friends to learn of her privileged upbringing and her exalted status as an Orion syndicate assassin. However, Unaware of her true background, Mariner enthusiastically invites herself to accompany Tendi. Talyn also decides to come along to take notes on the Orion rituals to share with the Vulcan High Council. Upon their arrival on Tendi's homeworld, her lofty status quickly becomes evident within the Orion Matriarchal Society. Tindy introduces her friends to her mother, warrior queen Shauna, and her dad, simply Brett. <laughs> Shauna informs Tindy that Erica has been the victim to a traditional pre-wedding kidnapping. However, it appears to be somewhat suspicious since, according to Shauna, brides are only abducted after the save the date and before the invitation. Hmm. Tindy grudgingly accepts the charge to find her sister, hopefully in time for the wedding. The three travel to a seedy club and then to a dungeon where women use their pheromones to intoxicate men to their will. Hmm. At each stop, Mariner becomes the victim of knives hurled at her shoulder. Man, does she get stabbed. Yeah, I know. Poor Mariner. (laughs) But the Erica is not found. Mm. However, they do learn she had been sighted in an old ship graveyard where Tindy and her sister used to play as children. The junkyard did reveal the Erica 
Uh, but she is angered Tindy has returned because she felt Tindy had abandoned in the family. The Erica believes this left her with no choice but to uphold the family's rank as well as take the place of Tindy as the Orion Syndicate's assassin. The two sisters fight. In the process, Mariner is accidentally stabbed in the shoulder once again. <laughs> the sisters come to a truce as each other learns something about themselves. Tendi learns she has evolved into another person that she favors more than when she took on an Orion lifestyle. The Erica learned that she excelled in the role as an assassin and enjoyed her position in her people's society. Tindy hotwires one of the discarded ships and they are able to make it back to the sisters family home in time for Erica's wedding. <laughs> Talyn decides to throw away her notes out of consideration for Tindy's preference for Orion ways to remain mysterious to outsiders. The subplot involves Boimler and Rutherford who, as roommates, have become as close as brothers. Well. All seems well until the two argue over who will spray mist on their small bonsai tree that they have named Little Boney. The two calm themselves uh, by and enjoy each other's company once more in a holodeck simulation in which they both take on the persona of Samuel Clemens, also known as Mark Twain. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Captain Freeman grows frustrated dealing with Captain Coger a member of the Chelnoth race that looks mysteriously a lot like Nausicaans. <laughs> Known for their aggressive and intimidating ways, Captain Koger seems not to want to compromise and find a way they both can simultaneously scan a nebula before it phases away. Both captains agree to try on Boimler and Rutherford's suggestion to work out their issues through the Mark Twain holodeck simulation. As one would predict, the simulation quickly goes awry. However, the mention of the bonsai tree unexpectedly calms the Chanoth. He is taken to see it and seems to appreciate its beauty, but then swallows the tree whole and washes it down with the water from the misting bottle. The now tranquil Captain Kokor permits the Cerritos to study the nebula. Captain Freeman bans the use of Mark Twain holodeck simulations. However, Boimler and Rutherford find another program the two can use as in, for enjoyment, in which they impersonate Mozart and play duets, although poorly, on harpsichords. <laughs> yeah. the, the Erica. The Erica, the Erica, I love that. That is the that blackest name ever been presented black. on Star Trek. That is a the black Erica. name. You know, I know she did not. She was a riot, but that strictly sounded like... Taking a regular Anglo-Saxon name and putting a D and a, and a, hyphen. And a hyphen in the front of it, or apostrophe, apostrophe in, in, in the front of it, yes. is so black. That is... <laughs> Quite black. Her name is Erica. Quite black. I mean, we definitely have relatives who have done that. We have relatives that, that actually have names like that. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's talk about the credits. Yes, go ahead. Something borrowed, something green, 
was written by Grace Para Janey. Oh, that explains it. Yeah, and, di <laughs> and directed by Bob Suarez. A Houston, Texas native, Janie is an actor and writer. As a writer, she is known for such shows as Frito Kahlo, Junior Marketing Exec, another show called Broke, and Solar Opposites. Besides Something Borrowed, Something Green, she is credited with the Lower Deck Season 1 episode, No Small Parts. And Grace Parra, when she was Grace Parra, not Grace Parra, Janie, mm -hmm. used to be a performer and a writer on The Nightly Show with Larry right. Milmore. That's correct. That is correct. Uh, Suarez has had a long career as a New York-based storyboard artist with do dozens of credits for such series as Daria, Coates' name, uh, Kid Next Door, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja. He, but he's no stranger to directing. He was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program for Disclosure, the musical, the movie. Um, a season three episode of the animated series Big Mouth. He earned a Hugo Award nomination for Best Dramatic Presentation, Short Form, as well as for Sweet Weech Douge, a season two episode, the most beloved season two episode, if I can say frankly, uh -huh. from Star Trek Lower Decks. Besides Weech Douge and Something Borrowed, Something Green, Suarez has directed five other Lower Decks episodes. For season one, it was Temporal Edict, Terminal Provocations, and Crisis Point. For season two, it was We'll Always Have Tom Pierce and The Spy Humongous. All right, well, let's get into the analysis. The theme of something borrowed, something green is acceptance. Tindy has to accept her Orion background, traditions, and family. The Erica finally accepts that she was able to discover her true call, like do only to Tindy abandoning her responsibilities to the family. And Boimler and Rusford have to accept that their love for the same things is okay. In fact, it all provides them with opportunities for sharing and compromise. Let's look at our first impressions. <clears throat> something Borrowed, Something Green is another laugh-out-loud funny episode of Lower Decks that also accomplishes to enhance our understanding of specifically Tendi as a main character, and a little bit more about the Orion culture. Tendi continues to become a more fascinating character with each season. This is our first Tendi-centric episode of this season, and like the previous ones, it didn't disappoint. Now let's look at what worked. Lower Decks has struck gold once again in mining Orion culture for both interesting and fresh storytelling opportunities that have a great deal of humor considering the species' first appearance during the original series. Orions have always stood out in comparison to the other legacy alien species. They were the only reoccurring Star Trek aliens where we met the females of the species first, and there was a reason for that. Through their clothing alone, Orions were portrayed as having more in common with Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter, Warlord of Mars series than they did with the science fiction of the 1960s. Originally, the Orions were a reflection 
of several pulp fiction cliches steep in stereotypes and misogyny. In Something Borrowed, Something Green, Tendi clearly doesn't want to be defined by the stereotypes of her Orion culture. As much as she is apprehensive about going back home, Mariner, in contrast, is thrilled at the news that they're going to have an opportunity to visit Orion. Biofilter after last week's shore leave have been cataloged. Next up is nothing. Oh, that can't be right. There's always something to do. Oh, one of the great things about being a Lieutenant JG is it's actually possible to finish your work. We should do something fun! Celebrating a lack of purpose is illogical. Come on, what up? I have exciting news for Lieutenant Dendy. You've been granted leave to visit your family on Orion. Effective immediately. Apparently, your sister is getting married. Congratulations. Wait, wedding? Sister? Parents? Tendi, I'm sorry, I'm freaking out. This is more backstory than I have ever been able to get out of you. Oh, that's okay, Captain Freeman. I don't need to go. I mean, there's so much work to catch up on. <laughs> Starfleet is eager to demonstrate goodwill after the recent disappearance of an Orion ship. Oh, right. If it's to help Starfleet, I, I guess I could go. Thank you, Lieutenant. Hey, you okay, Dee? Yeah, I, I just haven't been home in so long. Plus, they want me to be in the ceremony, which means writing a speech. Ugh, and of course, they'll want photos of all of us in our belly dancer outfits. Hmm, it is rare for outsiders to observe Orion rituals. May I accompany you on this mission? The High Council would find my report enlightening. What? No! I mean, uh, it's going to be super unenlightening, actually. Come on, dude, Talyn's right. I mean, nobody knows anything about your culture. I have put my foot in my mouth enough when it comes to Orion stuff. We want to learn about the real you. But the real me is just going to be doing a bunch of boring traditions. Sounds awesome. Plus, I'm sorry, I just, I have to get away from Boims and Rutherford. Ever since they moved in together, they're like finishing each other's sentences. Their emotional closeness is unpleasant. I don't know. Please, let me support my number one Orion amiga. Okay, sure, why not? Maybe it'll be good for you guys to see what my home world is actually like. Hell yeah! Triple threat, girls trip! I hope we will be allowed to view their aquifers. Oh, okay, to then get in rowdy. However, through Tendi's visit to her home world, Lower Dex engages in an interesting discussion about these classic Star Trek aliens. Over its four seasons, Lower Dex has addressed the, the elephant in the room, the franchise's approach to the problematic Orions. In some ways, this animated comedy is the perfect Star Trek series to tackle the subject because Lower Decks should be able to call out some of the franchise's historical blind spots and missteps. Throughout Lower Decks, Tindy has pushed back on the assumptions that many of her co-workers make about Orion's. Beginning in season one, during Crisis Point, she was frustrated at Mariner for casting her as a savage warrior queen. In Here All, Trust Nothing, Tindy got really angry at Mesk, a fellow Orion who portrayed some of the worst stereotypes of her species. And in, in this third episode, Tindy has pulled back the veil slightly on her background. So even though Lower Decks is built for humor, this episode gives us our best look at everything Orion. Because Orions are the most one-dimensional Star Trek species existing, they are the perfect subject for a Lower Decks comedy episode. That dimension being pirating. And whether it's a male-dominated society or a female-dominated society, 
The piracy is the one constant. This makes them perfect for comedy. They are sexy, green-skinned space pirates. They have never been developed beyond that, not even during Discovery's fourth season. Klingons, Ferengi, even Cardassians have received more development over the years. But this episode doesn't try to give us a definitive facts about Orion culture. Instead, our attention is focused on Tindy's anxious relationship to it. We get to see why she's been so reticent to discover to discuss her background. Watch out! There's a loose panel over there. Curious. You seem familiar with this location, yet it appears to be abandoned. To Eric and I used to sneak away here when we were little. There! That was one of our favorites. I loved pretending I was off-planet, exploring space, doing anything other than pirating. Guys, I have to come clean about something. I wasn't just a regular Orion teenager. I was trained to be a syndicate assassin. Andy, yeah, we know, girl. You can't just say you're joking around when you kick flip a knife out of the air. Your upbringing was quite obvious. I just hate that you guys had to see the real me. Tens, the real you is the one who geeks out about science on the Cerritos. But I'm a prime, you know, a, a trained assassin is the most piratey someone can be. Incorrect. You are who you choose to be, a Starfleet lieutenant, and a loyal friend. Don't worry. We know you're a big nerd and not some hot assassin. <sighs> that is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <sighs> Tulin argues to Tendi in this scene that she's not exclusively defined by her cultural background. In, in fact, she advises her that you are who you choose to be. So the real problem isn't how Tendi chooses to be present in the world, but how others choose to see her. In this gentle and loving way, Laura Dex is calling attention to the short-sightedness of our world as well as the world of Laura Dex. Our final thoughts. From Tindy revealing some hidden assassin techniques to Talyn's deadpan one-liners and to Mariner repeatedly being stabbed in the same shoulder by every Orion knife thrower they meet. All of those elements make Something Borrowed, Something Green the fourth consecutive solid episode of this season. The show and its writers continue to deliver smart and enjoyable Star Trek experiences on a consistent basis. Something, unfortunately, that, they, that escaped them throughout season three. I have to take a moment to highlight Talyn once again. Um, Talyn is a standout in this episode, and I only I can't wait to see her in the others. Um, she's a commander on the Cerritos crew, but in this episode, she shows compassion to Tindy and doesn't share her findings with the Vulcan Science Council, which was something that you wouldn't have anticipated her doing. I can't imagine this show continuing without Talyn, so I hope she's not just a one-season uh, character. Her acerbic, dry wit, in contrast to the slapstick goofiness of Mariner and the rest of the crew, is the staple for this season's brand of comedy, and it has only made the show stronger. 
Now let's move on to bits and pieces. This is the It's Not Easy Being Green edition. The Orion ship destroyed in the teaser at the beginning of the episode is an updated 24th century version of the Orion Interceptor's design. The original was first seen in Bound from Season 4 of Enterprise. Mariner references Bound when describing how a captain would get taken out by some Orion showgirls. This episode also featured multiple examples of the Orion written language, which was also first introduced on Enterprise. Also, Tindy's assassin training explains why she was so easily able to fill the role of the cleaner during the events of Season 1's Veritas. One of the gender role reversals in Orion culture that was made evident in this episode is how the bride carries the groom across the threshold or carries him as they swing through on a rope. <laughs> also, Tindy's parents are the warrior queen, Shauna, and Bert. Other Orion names in this episode were Derica, which we've already said is the blackest name we've ever heard in Star Trek, Madame G, not... Nayal and Ingreta. Mariner christened the game Tindy plays with her old friend Ingreta with the name Murder Bug Drinking Game. This is the only way it should ever be described from this point forward. And the ship Tindy hotwired in, in the Orion junkyard where she spent time dreaming about a life in Star Trek is the same class of ship as the USS Raven, the vessel used by Seven to Nine's parents, the Hansen family, to investigate the Borg. And finally, like every gangster movie you've ever watched, of course, the crime family's home is an ostentatious compound. And now, Gary, let's uh, talk about Star Trek news. Okay, go right ahead. Oh, you want me to go first? Yes, please. All right, all right. There's a Blu-ray release date for Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, according to ComingSoon.net. The Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 4K and Blu-ray release date is set for December 5th, 2023, when the series will release its 4K, UHD, Blu-ray, and DVD versions. Alongside the physical releases, the 4K, UHD, and Blu-ray limited edition Steelbook will also be made available that day. Wow. This will come packaged with the series as well as a subspace Rhapsody poster, a set of four exclusive magnets mm. for the 4K USD, UHD version, and special features on the home release will include... Producing props. The costume... Closet. The Gorn. Singing in Space. Exploring New Worlds. Deleted, extended, and alternate scenes exclusively yeah. to that version. And you may pre-order the Blu-ray on, guess what? Amazon. <laughs> so in closing, we'll be back next week with a review of the fourth season, episode five of Star Trek Lower Decks, entitled... Empathological fallacies. 
Is that what it's called? That's what it's called. That's, that's close to it, right? That's very close to it. <laughs> okay. Before we sign off, we would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a comment over on iTunes for us. It can help us out with attracting attention and new listeners. Until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram at Star Trek AOD. Facebook at facebook.com backslash Star Trek AOD. At our website, Star Trek AOD.net, where we also offer additional articles on Star Trek canon, interesting sidebar issues, and other aspects of the show. You may also email us at Star Trek AOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and prosper.